Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Hello class, you may be seated. Today's lesson is Pathfinder 101 Basic Mechanics. Pathfinder is a tabletop RPG based off of Dungeons & Dragons 3.5, but it's not Dungeons & Dragons anymore. Dungeons & Dragons was made by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, Pathfinder is kind of a break-off of a lot of people that made 3.5. They made their own company called Paizo, and they made Pathfinder. It's very similar to Dungeons & Dragons 3 and 3.5, but it, is, it has its own set of differences. Now, we said a lot of big words, a lot of things that no one you might not know about. What's Dungeons & Dragons in the first place? Listen, it's all right. There's a lot of stuff. Me and Christian... Your professors here, we're going to get you through it, and we're all going to have a good time. And in the end, we're going to make it so that you can go home and have a good time with your friends. Playing Pathfinder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not doing other non-denominational We're not activities. like reading books. <laughs> all right, guys. Let's, the only books we're reading is The Bestiary to see what I'm going to throw at you next, sir. <laughs> all a tabletop role-playing game is is a game where you sit down with some statistics on pieces of paper and some dice, and you adventure in a world of fantasy, like swords and swords sorcery kind of thing, magic and melee weapons and that sort of thing. In a game of Pathfinder, you're going to need two kinds of people, players and a GM. A GM is the guy that creates the world, makes the different people, we call them NPCs, non-player characters, that the players interact with. Players are people who just play one character themselves and they interact with this world that the GM makes. Obviously, it's going to be one GM and a couple players, typically two to three, four players. The statistics on each player's character sheet is just to help that character understand what he can and can't do. And all the dice are used for to see is whether or not you succeed or fail at doing those things. So if your statistics are good about swimming, you roll your dice and you're better at swimming than other people. So when you go to play, if you're starting to play, one of the first things you're going to need other than a character sheet is the dice we just mentioned. And you're going to notice when you get a set of dice from your local gaming store online that there's a couple funky looking dice that if you haven't played an RPG before, a tabletop RPG, you might not be familiar with. There's a lot of funky dice. It's like I recognize the six sided die. What are the rest of these doing here? Does this does this only have four sides? <laughs> so the first thing you're going to do is find the 20 sides to die it's the most spherical of the ones you have and you're gonna set that dice aside from the rest because that is the most important dice whenever you do something in pathfinder pathfinder is a d20 system meaning the majority of actions you take are going to be determined by the d20 now christian said d20 d is a naming convention for the dice it just stands for dice so if i want you to take out the six-sided die instead of me saying the big phrase the six-sided die i just say the d6 so likewise with any number of sides that's what that dice is called is it a nine million sided die then it's a d9 million if you have that die i would like to see it that'd be very interesting the dice we usually use is the d4 the D6, the D8, the D10, the D percentile, the D12, and the D20. But like I said, the majority of the time you're going to be using that D20. If you're ever taking an action that you want to see whether or not you succeed or fail at that action, you're going to roll 1D20, see what you roll, and add to the number you rolled the corresponding number from your character sheet. One example of that would be uh, skill checks. Skill checks is things that you're character can do like swimming riding a horse or any sort of fantastical creature let's not limit ourselves christian you know what riding said horse i was thinking hippogriff riding unicorns uh what, is, what happens in the witcher they're like they like sleep on a unicorn or whatever they're a stuffed unicorn <laughs> 
bluffing, pick locks, pick locks, things like this. So you you have points in that, and you'll hear your GM say, make a DC 15 swim check. DC stands for difficulty class, and it's the number you're trying to reach. So let's say I have a plus five on my swim skill. I need to roll a 10 or higher because I just add my swim check to get to that 15. A DC 5 is considered easy, a DC 10 is considered standard, and a DC 15 is considered difficult. There's things that go above and beyond, but that's the general rule. So you would take the D20, you'd roll it. Suppose Caleb rolled a 10. He would then add a swim check of 5 to the 10. He got a 15, so he met the DC of 15 to make the swim check. And thus I succeed. I am the best of swimmers. (laughs) If he had rolled a nine or lower, he would have failed at that check. Then the DM would have told him the consequences of failing that check. Right. I I just horribly embarrass myself. Everyone at the beach looks at me. Oh, where'd my trunks go? I can't find them. It's just some bad news all around. Don't want to lose these checks. So though your character might be good at something, maybe other characters aren't as good at the thing you do. Well, you can help other characters succeed at a certain skill check. If you want to aid someone else, the action is referred to as aid another, you have a flat DC of 10 in order to help them. So you just roll whatever skill check it is. If it was swim, suppose I was in the water with Caleb. I'm a swimmer. I'm good at swimming. I could try to assist him. I'd roll 1d20, add my swim bonus. Let's say it's a plus 7. So if I roll a 3 or higher, I get a 10 and I aid Caleb giving him a plus two on his check. Listen, we're both at the Y. You're the lifeguard. I'm having trouble. You come in, you you help me out. Another big part of your character sheet is your saves. Your saves, you'll see it's been called fortitude, reflex, and will. Now, these are three big uh, main sort of defensive things your character has. Like with skill checks, there's a DC you got to make. So you'll hear, make a DC 15 fortitude save. Or you might not know the DC. Your GM might say, make a fortitude save. Just like with skill checks, you're just going to roll 1d20. And you're going to add whatever bonus you have in the respective save. If they ask you to make a fortitude save, you're just going to roll 1d20. You know, look at your character sheet, see what your fortitude save is, add that number, and then that's your total. Same thing with reflex and will. So what does fortitude, reflex, and will saves stand for respectively? A fortitude save is someone's physical hardiness, your ability to stave off disease and poisons and basically attacks on your physical health. Reflex save is being able to dodge out of that trap right before the trap door opens beneath you. Will is your ability to resist mental attacks, people taking control of your mind, uh, the ability to resist fearful effects. There's a lot of magic in this world, and they're trying to get at that precious dome of yours. They like that melon, and they want at it, but you're not going to let them because you're going to have that will save. Here, you can get a natural 20 or a natural 1, and natural is a term we use to delineate what number is actually showing on that dice. So if you get a natural 20, you see the number 20 on your dice you automatically succeed. If you get a natural one, seeing a one show up on the dice, you automatically fail, no matter if you would have passed, would have gotten the DC or not. Now, like Caleb said, this is something that applies to our saving throws, but it does not apply to the skill checks we just talked about. Right. Let's talk about currency. In this game, there is a currency system. It is not dollar dollar bills, y'all, so get over (laughs) that. It is copper, silver, gold, and plat. 
and each is just on a base of 10. 10 copper equals one silver, 10 silver equals one gold, and 10 gold equals one platinum piece. Let's go into that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go deeper. <laughs> you see, there's this thing called precious metals. And for some reason, humans have valued these things. <laughs> Skill checks that we talked about is a lot of stuff that'll happen often out of combat, going up, trying to climb a wall or something like that. For in combat, there's a specific set of rules. Once you and your party take a hostile action against someone else or other people take hostile actions against you, we have to keep track of turns. That way everything is manageable. It's not just everyone yelling out at once. I attack that guy. You get attacked. Roll no, dice. I did. No, I did. <laughs> so instead, there's a system that everyone will go in turns. So what will happen is that we'll break the combat down into rounds. Every person involved in the combat will go once during each round, and at the end of the round, we start again. Each round accounts for about six seconds, so it's kind of like we're slowing down time to see what order everyone does everything in. And to determine that order, everyone rolls initiative. It's a statistic on your character sheet, and you'll see whatever number you roll your d20 and you add your initiative. Highest goes first, lowest goes last. If you tie, you just see who has the bigger initiative bonus, and if that ties, whoever has the biggest dex bonus. Dex is your dexterity. We'll get into that in a second. So once it comes to your turn on the initiative order, you can take a series of actions. Actions are moving in the battlefield, which, you know, if you're playing with a playmat, you can move through those five foot squares. You can attack people. You can cast spells. You can do really anything you can think of, but they all fall into two or three different types of actions. A standard action. This is where you attack or cast a magic spell or do something kind of significant. That's a standard action. You get one standard action every round. Then there's movement actions, which are, as it sounds, moving. Moving up to your speed is a move action. But there are other things that take up the move action slot, such as drawing your weapon, getting an item out of your backpack, things like that. And this is another thing you only get one per round. Although you technically only get one move action per round, you can use a standard action and just replace it with a move action. So instead of moving up to someone and then using a standard action, you can move and then you can move again. There's a swift action, which is something that is uh, rather quick that you can do. A lot of certain class abilities rely on swift actions. And again, this is something you only get once per round. Free actions are actions that take almost no time at all, such as talking is a free action in combat. Although, of course, you are limited to the six seconds of combat round to talk. Right. Yeah, I'm not doing a soliloquy from Hamlet here. <laughs> And maintaining things is typically a free action. If you have something you activate and it has to stay activated over certain turns, usually maintaining that is a free action. You don't actually have to do anything to maintain stuff. And usually you have a bunch of these as much as you want. And then there's the immediate action. Immediate action is kind of unique in the way that it can happen on another player's turn. For example, there's a class called the Swashbuckler. When somebody comes at you with an attack, you can make an attack roll to parry their attack. But when you do take an immediate action, you lose your swift action for the next round. They're kind of the same speed. There is also a full round action. That means that you take your standard action, and you take your move action, and you kind of combine them together. During a full round action, you can still take a five foot step, you can still take swift actions, and you can still take free actions. But uh, there are certain things that require you to be doing a full round action to do, such as attacking multiple times in one turn. Or running very far. Some spells require a full round action to cast. Now you said something. You said taking a five foot step. A five foot step is a special action that occurs that allows you to move five feet, as long as you haven't moved at all in that round or won't again. And this is a special 
kind of movement that doesn't provoke attacks of opportunity. Attacks of opportunity is a thing where your opponent can hurt you if you're doing something that causes you not to pay attention to your opponent. So this you can kind of move a little bit away from them and get out of harm's way. Or you can move closer to them or move into a flanking position. If you are not otherwise moving in the round, you should always take a five foot step. There's usually somewhere you want to be. Now suppose it's your turn and you don't really have an opportunity to do something. Someone's not in the correct position or the enemy isn't visible yet. There's two things you can do with your turn in order to take advantage of that. The first thing you can do is run away. Yes. Oh, okay, sorry. No. <laughs> the first thing you can do is ready an action. As a standard action, you can say, if I see the enemy come out from behind the wall, then I'm going to make an attack against him. You state a trigger and what the response will be to that trigger. If he casts a spell, I shoot him with an arrow. You can also delay your turn. Delaying your turn means I'm not going to act at the initiative that I rolled. I'll act at a later initiative. You can't go in the middle of somebody else's turn. You have to wait for them to complete their full turn. Then you can say, I'd like to take my turn now. Both readying an action and delaying your turn will actually move you on the initiative order to wherever you act next. Right. So if you are top of the order and you want to wait for one of your allies to get in position, so you delay your turn until after him, you are now permanently going to go after him for the rest of combat. All right. We've mentioned a lot of cute special things. Who really cares? We've said the word attacking a lot, and that's something I want to do. Talk to me about attacking. So attacking just means that you have an applicable weapon. You're at the right range to use it. If you have a bow, you're close enough to the enemy to shoot the and bow. And you're like, I want to erase that guy. <laughs> or you have a melee weapon and you're directly adjacent to someone. All you do is, if you still have your standard action, just like everything else we said so far, you take your d20, you roll it, and you add your attack bonus for that weapon, which will be determined by your character sheet. Right. And then if you successfully overcome their AC, AC is their armor class, you have to get equal to it or greater, you can do your damage. And then damage is listed under each weapon. It's different for each weapon. So damage rolls is usually represented by a XDX plus X. 1d6 plus 4, which means you roll a d6, a 6-sided die. Whatever number that comes up, you add 4. So if I roll a 3, I add 4, my total is 7 damage. Or 2d8 plus 10, whatever. This is typically where all the rest of the dice come in. The 1d20 determines whether or not you succeed at things, like an attack roll. And then when you succeed, you roll 1d8 plus a number to find out your damage. Or if you cast your spell, maybe you do 4d6 damage. Right. So for example, suppose you are a warrior with a sword and you're next to an armored enemy. The armored enemy has 20 AC. You have an attack bonus with your sword of 10. You're going to roll 1d20. You're going to add your attack bonus of 10. And if you get 20 or higher, that means you hit this opponent. Right. And then I can deal damage. And then my entire party goes, yay. <laughs> now, if I'm a caster, I have magic, my attack looks a little different. And it looks different with each spell. Spells are kind of unique where they're kind of each one is different. But there's two main schools. One is you make them make a ref uh, you make them make a save. Remember we mentioned earlier the reflex, the fortitude, the will save. They have to make a will save, let's say a will save to resist the effects. So let's say I'm trying to uh, mind control them with a dominate person spell and the save is a DC 15 will save. My opponent rolls his will save and if he gets 15 or more, it doesn't work. And if he gets 14 or less, I dominate him as the spell describes. The other type of spells act a lot like the attack rolls we just talked about. There's a lot of spells that say you make a ranged touch attack or 
you make a melee touch attack against an enemy. There's a little bit of special ways on how some of those work, and we actually have another whole episode dedicated just talking about how magical spells work. Right. But typically you just roll 1d20, add your ranged attack bonus if you're making a ranged touch attack, or your melee attack bonus if you're making a melee touch attack, and if you succeed, you hit them with that spell. If you do a touch attack, you go against their special armor statistic, not normal armor, but touch AC. Touch AC is pretty much their armor class minus their the the bonuses they get from physical armor. Because it's like if I shoot you with lightning, I don't care if you're wearing armor. It's not going to matter. It's going to hurt you either way. But you can still dodge it. So your ability to dodge attack still comes into play. Right. The analog to touch AC is flat-footed AC. Sometimes you catch someone by surprise and they can't move out of the way of your attack because they don't know what's coming, but their armor is still there. This is referred to as flat-footed AC. There's a couple ways to get it, but the most common is just the first round of combat before you turn, you're flat-footed. Now, if this is another thing where if you roll a natural 1, you fail, and a natural 20, you succeed, your attack rolls. And if you roll a natural 20, you can actually have a chance of doing a critical. Critical is Pathfinder's way of saying pretty much you have a 5% no matter what chance to do more damage than normal. For critical, you roll if you get a natural 20. It's called a critical threat. You roll again, just as if you were doing the same exact attack with the same bonuses. And if you still hit their AC with that next roll, you confirm the critical and you do double damage. If the confirmation roll fails, you still hit with the attack, but it is not a critical. You don't deal extra damage. You just do normal damage. Now, some weapons have a greater critical threat range, so maybe they crit on a natural 19 and a natural 20. And some weapons do more than times two damage on a critical. A lot of firearms do times four damage if they're critical. Now, there is a special round of combat if people aren't aware of other combatants. If you sneak up on someone and they are completely unaware of you, you get a surprise round. During a surprise round, only the people who are hidden can act and they can only take either one move or one standard action instead of an entire full real round of combat. Now you'll see uh, two very similar looking things on your, st- on your stat sheet, on your character sheet, CMB and CMD. It stands for Combat Maneuver Bonus and Combat Maneuver Defense. They radically need a name change because constantly people say, roll your CMB. What, my, my D? No, B as in boy. D as in dog, boy. As in boy. <laughs> as in boy dog. <laughs> uh, this is another thing where a natural one is a fail, a natural 20 is, uh, is uh, you succeed. And this allows you to do things uh, such as I want to push him over the edge or I want to try to trip him or disarm him. You roll a CMB and add, you, I'm sorry, you roll a D20 and add your CMB and your opponent and it's against your opponent's CMD. Kind of like an attack versus AC. It's your CMB versus their CMD. There's actual classifications for what you can do with a combat maneuver, but typically it's anything you're doing against someone that's not exactly an attack. Like Caleb said, disarming their weapon. Not exactly an attack against their person, but some sort of other offensive maneuver. You have offended my person, (laughs) sir. Make a CMB roll for that. Now, something we mentioned earlier very quickly was an attack of opportunity. This is a big mechanic when you're fighting. 
in general, an attack of opportunity, someone gets one against you or you get an attack of opportunity against someone else, whenever they do something that you just wouldn't let them do, if someone's just standing in front of you in range and they go to drink a potion, you're not going to just let them drink a potion. You're going to try and smack them in the head. Like, okay, I'll, I'll wait here. Give me a couple seconds. You look at your watch. You pull out your DS. You play it. Okay, you're done. All right, let's fight. Uh, someone's just going to try and walk circles around you. You're not going to just let them walk circles around you. You're going to try and hit them as they walk by. Right. The most common form of attack of opportunity is moving out of somebody's threatened square. A threatened square just means that you're within range of their melee weapon. You're within range of their weapon. Like Christian mentioned, there's a few others trying to drink a potion, stuff like that. Casting spells is a big one. Right. And combat maneuvers, unless you take things called feats, which we'll get into later, usually provoke an attack of opportunity. If you try to push someone and not use your weapon, they're probably not going to let you do that. In combat, there's a couple things that you'll see commonly that will kind of modify certain statistics on your character sheet. One is flanking. You'll get this a lot. This is if you have an ally on the opposite side of your opponent, so you're both threatening him. He can't pay attention to both of you. Both you and your ally now get a plus two bonus to your attack rolls against him. Another very common uh, modifier run to in combat is difficult terrain. Difficult terrain can range from you're running in sand to you're running in like busted up broken tiles. It just means that you are going to move at half your speed through difficult terrain and you cannot take five foot steps. So on your character sheet, you'll see you can move 30 feet. Each square takes five feet of movement. But when I get to that sandy area, now I got to spend 10 feet of movement to get to the square. There's a bunch of conditions that you can have gained by various ways through poisons and spells and things like that. So if you're like you're sickened, you get a minus two to something or blinded. Yeah, you, you can't see people. So you have trouble attacking them. Right. If you're prone, you can't defend as well against people who are trying to chop you with their big old axe thing. Another common modifier is concealment. Concealment means that the person with concealment isn't, say, entirely visible. They might be partially behind cover. Or they might actually have a spell on them that makes them opaque or see-through. In which case, whenever something has concealment, you suffer a mischance against that person. So like regular concealment, I think is 20%. Full concealment is 50%. So that means you just have a 20% to just miss the person if you make an attack roll against them, or 50% chance to just miss them regardless of what you roll. Now listen, I know what you're saying right now. You're saying, Professor Caleb and Christian, you're both so handsome. How can I get... No, I know what you're actually saying. You're actually saying, wow, there just seems like there's a lot of rules here to try to deal with. And listen, you're right, there are. But there's a lot of cool resources, a lot of them free, be able to handle these rules. First, the most free resource is your GM. He's the guy that's got to deal with most of this stuff. Uh, you can Don't be afraid to ask him. There's a lot of stuff that still you and I, Christian, we just don't remember or we constantly learn from each other over the episodes. Like, oh, is that really how that works? You're like, yeah, Caleb, don't you know? <laughs> We learn things all the time. Uh, ask your GM. There's the PRD, the Pathfinder Reference Document, which is made by Paizo, and it has all the rules on there. Even new books come out, like, I think, like a month later. They put new books up on there. There's a, another one that's not Paizo, but called the PFSRD, and it's, again, it pretty much has the same information, but a different format. You can look these up. It's very helpful. I can't tell you my times. Even as a GM, I constantly just quickly look up a rule. It's actually one of the big reasons that I and my group got into Pathfinder initially, because we didn't didn't have to buy every single book and have it on hand in order to reference rules and things like that. 
So we talked a lot about combat here. Let's talk about how your health is determined because health is important. Obviously, you need it to live. You're, you get a certain health pool determined by your class. Class is what role you kind of fit in in Pathfinder. Are you a wizard? Are you a, a fighter or are you a ranger? That sort of thing. Obviously, things like fighters and rangers will have more hit points than your wizard. Right. They're going to be in that robe saying, "I just keep me in the back. <laughs> you get in front of me. <laughs> Listen, I'll I'll get I'll make a lightning storm appear. I'll make a fire nato full of sharks appear. Just I can't take a hit. Is that cool with you? All right, I can't do everything here. <laughs> I'm adding that custom spell in now. <laughs> it's fire shark nato coming soon to a theater near you. So as you take damage from either spells featuring or weapons, Gary Busey in the lead role. <laughs> So as you take damage from spells and weapons, you start to lose hit points. Nothing actually happens as you lose hit points until you reach zero or less. So up until you have one hit point left, you can your character can act as normal. You can represent them being injured through role-playing, but there's actually no mechanical difference between having a low amount of hit points and a high amount of hit points. At zero hit points, you are disabled, which means you can only make a standard or a move action. And if you do make a standard action, you lose a hit point and you go down to negative. What happens at negative? Once you're in negative hit points, you're not actually dead. You are unconscious. So in Caleb's example, you're at negative one. That means you fall unconscious at negative one hit points. You are then bleeding out until you stabilize. Every round, you're going to lose one hit point unless you make a stabilization check, which is very similar to a fortitude save. A stabilization check is you roll a d20, you add your constitution modifier, and you subtract the number of negative hit points you have. So let's say I have a constitution modifier of five. I'm at negative one. I roll my d20. I get a 10, 10 plus five, minus one, I have 14, I've made the check. You're now regularly unconscious, you are stable. This is another one where a natural 20 is an automatic success and a natural one is automatically fail. If you do fail this check, you lose another hit point. So you'll have to keep making that check every round until you succeed and it gets harder every time. So when am I actually dead? You only die once your hit points reach a negative number equal to your constitution score. So if my constitution score, say, is 15, I need to be at negative 15 to die. Right. Up until negative 14, you are still uh, unconscious or dying, but you're not actually dead. Someone can come by and heal you. Someone can uh, resuscitate you, essentially. So how do you get hit points back if you've lost them? There's a couple ways. The number one way is magical healing. People can cast healing spells on you, restoring hit points. You can drink magical potions that mimic those spells or wands or use scrolls that all heal you. If you sleep for eight hours, you get hit points back per level. If you're a level five fighter, you now get five hit points back after sleeping eight hours. There's the heal skill. It's one of the skills like how we mentioned earlier. You can use the heal skill over the course of an hour to heal a number of hit points equal to someone's character level. That's the anime. You're slowly wrapping the bandages around him, <laughs> talking to him, and now you have your scene next to the campfire. And we've all learned a little something today. We've all, we've all grown closer <laughs> together. So now that you have all the statistics, you know how to do the combat, you know about some of your skills and stuff out of combat. What's about actually playing the game? When you're actually playing the game, you try to be that person that is on your character sheet. 
That is why it's called a role-playing game. You try to take on that role and play that role. A lot of actors kind of love these kind of games because, hey, now I can be as thespian as I want to be. Uh, but even if even if you're not an actor, this doesn't just have to be for actors. A lot of people really just enjoy the combat of it. But uh, so you try to do stuff in character. You, you don't say, uh, hey, Christian, uh, my character wants to get a drink. You say, I go up to the barkeeper and ask for a drink. That kind of thing. When you're outside of combat in the game, you're typically just telling the DM what the party is doing. You're saying, hey, we want to go talk to that guy or, hey, we're going to walk over here and investigate this. You have to take initiative as to what to do. So Christian and I are going to do a quick example of role playing. And it's going to be funny. And if not, well, actually, I'm guaranteeing it's going to be funny because if not, we'll delete it and re-record it. <laughs> All right, Christian, your character is Mr. T and you're walking into a bar. Okay, okay, okay. That we've we've laid the scene. Begin role playing. Is it day or nighttime? It's nighttime. Nighttime. Okay. You've had a long day, my friend. A long day of not getting on any airplanes. And how uh what's the state of this bar? Is this like a New upscale? Jersey. Is this an upscale place or <laughs> No, it's New Jersey. <laughs> so it's low scale. We've just put out the car fires. <laughs> how, how how many people are in the bar? It's uh it's a pretty busy bar. A lot of people, maybe fifty people. Oh wow, okay. So I'm gonna go right up to the counter right. so notice how christian asks questions the gm isn't just going to like describe every little piece you'll go insane he asks for things what interest you so you said you went up to the bar yeah i want to get a drink so i'm gonna go up to the bar assume there's a bartender behind it yep he's like a he's a halfling and he's up on like on a little stool he's, he's no he's, he, he has stilts that's what he has he's stilts <laughs> so he can he can reach everything he needs to and does he pay attention to me as i walk up or is he like serving other people when mr t walks in a room he, he is a commanding presence he immediately locks eyes with you and for a moment you feel a connection with this guy <laughs> but yes he notices you and he says uh, uh what do you need son hey i need something to drink what do you want uh, give me some uh Cabassier. You got it. He reaches under the counter. and I pull. did not expect him to have Cabassier. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, listen, you're, you're a regular here. He, he, he stocked just for you. He reaches under the counter, the spot he set it aside just for you, pulls it out, and gives you the bottle with a glass. That'll be 10 gold, sir. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm reaching to my coin purse. Put it down on the bar. All right, deduct 10 gold from your character sheet. Scratch, scratch, scratch. <laughs> sounds uh <laughs> generic sounds that Caleb pulled off the internet of <laughs> writing on a piece of paper i'm not even putting that in i'm just using the words that i just said that's staying in the episode <laughs> as you're drinking after a little bit uh you feel a hard tap on the back of your shoulder and you hear hey you get out of my seat I turn around to see what fool's talking to me. The fool that's talking to you is a half-orc, and you're not sure, but you don't make a perception check, Christian. So I'm going to roll a d20. I rolled a five on the dice. I only have a plus four to my perception, so that's a nine. All right. You think. You're not entirely sure, but you think he might be wearing two sets of plate mail. <laughs> he looks pretty bulky, and he's got like seven swords on him. You can possibly use all these swords. Some look bigger than he could ever use, but he's standing up to you. It's, it's, he looks about your age. You're in my seat. Well, I don't see your name on it. He grabs you and attempts to pull you off of the seat. He's going to make a CMB roll versus your CMD using a drag maneuver. He rolled a 19, and he has a plus 9 combat maneuver bonus, so that's 28 versus your CMD. Do I make it? Uh, yeah, that succeeds. All right, but you do get an attack of opportunity if you want it. Ooh, okay. I'm going to actually attempt a dirty trick maneuver Ooh. in response. I'm going to try and splash the beer in his eyes. Okay, all right. Make a CMB versus a CMD. 
His CMD is 25, so you got to be 25. Oh, okay. So I rolled a 17, and I get a plus 8. So that is 25 exactly. All right, you've beaten it. As he pulls you down, he does successfully pull you to the ground, but you splash the beer in his eyes, and he is, like, screaming, holding his eyes, saying, why didn't I wear two helmets? Why did I only <laughs> wear two suits of plate mail? And he's kind of reeling, reeling from this. Uh, now we've taken aggressive actions. We are now in combat. So roll your initiative. Technically, rules is Remy probably should have rolled their initiative a bit ago, as soon as he wanted to throw you. I got a 13. All right. He got a three, plus his initiative is only a five, so he gets an eight. You get to go first, because 13 is greater than eight. So he's still blinded from the beer. I'm going to use my move action to stand up. Okay, that that would normally provoke an attack of opportunity, but he can't see you do it, so you're fine. And then I'm going to just make a melee attack with my fists. Don't okay. want to kill the guy. I don't, don't want to stab him with my sword, but I'm going to punch him. Okay, I just want to teach him a lesson. It's indeed not his seat. <laughs> uh, he's blind, so this is going to be against his flat-footed AC. I got Definitely. a 22. Absolutely beats his AC. You're surprised. He's wearing two plate mail. You wonder what the heck, but maybe wearing two plate mail. Maybe there's a reason people only wear one. You hit him. <laughs> I'm aiming for his head. All right, roll your is damage Is he wearing roll. a helmet? Yes, he's wearing one helmet. Okay. Roll roll, roll your damage roll. Uh, 1d3 plus my strength modifier. I rolled a 2, so I got a 6. Okay, you punch him, and he kind of he kind of comes back from it, and and you you kind of you you listen, you like you hear crying, he's crying, he's crying, and he kind of sniffs, and he says, "Okay, okay, okay, you win, you can have the seat, and you didn't have to be a big bully about it." And and he walks away, ending uh, initiative, unless you want to continue any sort of aggressive actions against him. No, I just say, "You push me." We talk about. <laughs> I pity the fool. <laughs> And he cries and he walks away and everyone at the bar claps that you, you you beat out the big guy who's constantly just bothering the bar all the time and you get free drinks for life for it. Oh, wow. And that's the end of that. That's a quick little example of in and out of combat, how you would role play. I made a lot of jokes and stuff, but you get the idea. Listen, we had a lot of fun here today, but drugs is a serious issue. <laughs> <laughs> I suggest when you're first starting, you do what I just did and that you uh, in combat explicitly state when you're taking a move action and when you're taking a standard action because then everyone can learn from each other what is and isn't a standard or move action and that'll help everyone develop a sense of playing the game much faster and also helps keep you honest to make sure that you're not accidentally doing something you shouldn't be able to do other people might be able to keep you in check like uh, i don't think you can get nine attacks in one round by substituting your move action oh okay (laughs) (laughs) so now you got a good example how to play the game how to use skill checks how to do combat and all that there's a lot of depth to this game and we have lots of episodes you can listen to to hear all about it uh we've got episodes on character creation how to learn more about how actually what goes into the statistics on your character sheet uh how to do combat with both weapons and magic how to do skills exactly each one detailing each one stuff about equipment all sorts of resources on how to better play the game as a player and later on we even have stuff about how to gm the game if you're interested in being the gm Listen, when I played, it was my first time and the first time of everyone around me. And we figured it out. We made mistakes, but we had fun along the whole way. You don't need to feel intimidated like, I don't know anything. Find a bunch of guys that don't know anything. You can all learn together. Or maybe find an experienced GM who can teach you all. There's really no bad way to go about it. Thank you all for listening. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great Pathfinder podcasts, visit our site, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? You can email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com. 
or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. I've been Nicholas Laborde. Thanks for listening. All right, guys, roll initiative. Does it have a weak spot, and how many feet away is it from it? Has anything in Pathfinder had a weak spot yet? And while we're on the subject, can a dragon fit in the room we're fighting in? Well, it depends. Anyone have Crisco in their equipment list? Yeah, I picked it up. <laughs> Last time we were in town, I grabbed it. Oh, well, yeah, that definitely, absolutely. Well, Kev, I have a question. On my character sheet, it says you gave me half a million gold last episode. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I, I got that, too. I, I wrote that down. <laughs> if we could not be children for, like, three seconds, I would like that. So pretend that you're having fun for once. But they entertain themselves pretty darn well. I shoot it in the face. Of course you do. Without any diplomacy, it's right in the face. You shoot it. It's a Medusa, you said? Yeah. Yet another copyright infringing non-original <laughs> character. I, I'd like to roll a sense motive on a DM. The GM, I'm sorry. I don't want to copy copyright. Not DM, man. We just got to Wow. Oh, you want to get us copyright strike? You guys have iTunes here? Obviously, you have Tolkien here, so. <laughs> Tolkien came across and his elves and his dwarves. <laughs> Did you like what you just heard? A couple of guys hanging out, role-playing? That was Trailblazers, our actual play podcast. You can find it every Tuesday right here on the Trailblazer Network. Hope to see you there. That's it. Rocks fall. Everyone dies. Everyone roll in your character. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to take a lot longer than 10 minutes.